Good morning to all of us. Praise the Lord. I trust that you are well. Welcome to our gathering this morning. Has God been faithful to us? Has he provided for us? Has he kept us? Has he taught us his word? Did he protect us on Wednesday if you are out of um, your home? Indeed, and even as we gather this morning, I'm sure those three songs would resonate very well. And it's my prayer that indeed as we have sung, that is just not um, part of what we do when we meet, but that truly knowing him would be greater than anything that we would want to know. And I hope that we have embraced that persuasion that we cannot know him apart from knowing his word. And more importantly, knowing him through his word that is rightly divided. And so it's a great joy and um, and a privilege uh, for us to gather this morning and continue with the lesson that we have been learning. But even as we consider the lesson that is um, before us, um, I think as some of you receive emails from Anne, I think she sent this email at 1 a.m. this morning, Kenyan time, and I just thought I would read it because it is a request for prayer. And so let me just read it before we go to a time of uh, studying this morning. And so this is what was shared, that please pray for the Porter family. I think if you've um, joined the Thursday Bible studies, you would see Pam and Lacey. I think they are part of this family. And they are all experiencing some serious health issues of various natures that require specialist help diagnosing and or treating. And they are endeavoring to remain focused and faithful in the midst of what they are having to contend with. And so we encourage to keep them in our thoughts and in our prayers. And also says thank you for your prayers for Robert's daughter, Yannick, who is making rehabilitative progress. That's a praise report. And last is to pray for Audrey's dad, Caesar, known as Bodge. I think um, doctors have revealed that um, there is something serious with him. And um, I think he may have suffered a stroke. And it is unknown when that took place during the time he was sedated. And I thought that since these are people that we have come to know and communicate with, I, thought, I just thought we may want to pray for them even before we go to the lesson. Shall we pray? Our gracious Father and our God, and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you. And we bless you, Lord, for the opportunity, dear Father, to uh, fellowship this morning. We thank you, God, for our brothers and sisters, Lord, in Cornerstone. We thank you, God, for the Porter's family, dear God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the report that has come concerning the medical challenges that they're all going through. And Lord, we place them in your hands, dear God, that even as they endeavor to keep themselves focused, O oh God, on Christ and his coming kingdom, that God, you would intervene for them. We pray that God, even as they undergo tests of whatever kind, dear God, in the hands of the physicians, that God, you will intervene for them, dear God. We thank you, God, and pray that they will enjoy your grace and your mercy, Lord. We thank you for your nick and for the progress that she's making. And we thank you, God, for Audrey's dad, dear Lord, who may have suffered a stroke. We also pray, God, for your intervention for him, dear God, and his family. We pray that, dear God, even as they con he continues to be under treatment, the gracious God, you will intervene for him, dear God. We thank you and we bless you even as we go into your word this morning. We pray that, Lord, even as we have asked of you, that you would, you would show us Christ this morning. We thank you and we bless you because we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So we continue with um, 
the series on Open the Scriptures. We finished part 8, I think 8F, two weeks ago. And uh, part 8F really was to focus on Christ having begun at Moses, as we have come to know. I will read the head scripture that is in Luke 24, 32. And they said to one another, Did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road and while he opened the scriptures to us? And so in part eight of this lesson, this is what we learned, that the two disciples, when they went back to Jerusalem, they reported to the rest about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them. And on the road, Jesus had talked with them. And what did he talk to them about? He talked to them concerning himself from all the scriptures. And he began at Moses and all the prophets. And the choice to begin at Moses was not random. It was purposeful. And this therefore demonstrates to us that if the scriptures are to be opened to any willing believer, then he or she must begin at the same starting point. Moses, speaking of the first five books, began by recording that which happened in beginning, that is, creation, ruin, restoration, and rest. We also saw that God created man to replace Satan as ruler over the earth. But before he could rule, he had first to be tested for worthiness. But we all know that man failed the test and death entered the sin, being the consequence of disobedience. And this death affected all the three parts. And that is what we have come to learn in this is the full scope of death. And therefore God began to unfold his redemptive plan for man, which was determined before time began. And this would equally encompass all the three parts of man, spirit, soul, and body. And this is what we have come to learn to be the full scope of salvation. The salvation of the spirit is the starting point of man's redemption. That all a spiritually dead person is expected to do is to believe in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. And they are made alive spiritually in that instant. The salvation of the soul is the goal of our faith. And it is a continuous process whose determination will be made at the judgment seat of Christ. The redemption of the body will be the experience of those believers found faithful at the judgment seat of Christ and having received the salvation of their souls. And I pray that we all do, that our bodies will be covered in glory, which is a prerequisite for rulership. That, in a sense, is a summary of what part eight was all about. <clears throat> so let's continue and study the things concerning himself that Jesus talked to his disciples about. And so as we have learned by way of reminder in this series, that Jesus had a specific starting point when expounding the scriptures to his two disciples and reading Luke 24, 27 and 44 and beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And in verse 44, then he said to them, these are the words which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms concerning me. 
I hope we can see a pattern there that everything in scripture is written concerning one person and that is Christ Jesus. We therefore concluded that beginning at Moses is a key to the scriptures being opened to a willing believer. What a joy to know that we do not need to guess how the scriptures are to be opened, but that if we follow this very same pattern without a shadow of doubt that the scriptures will be opened to us. And therefore we must go back to the beginning. And I think if you are like me, the temptation has always been that when we are taken back to beginning, it's like taking us back to Sunday school, something that we may not be very comfortable with. But the truth of the matter is that we must embrace that humility to go back to the foundation and have all those things uh, written therein, established in our lives. We know from Isaiah 46, 9 to 10, remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things that are not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand and I will do all my pleasure. This is God speaking. And in his wisdom, God has revealed the end from the beginning. Being those upon whom the ends of the ages have come, then we must choose to study what is written in God's word from the beginning. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10, 11 says, Now all these things, speaking of the record of the children of Israel, happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. I think what Paul is saying, dear friends, is that as we study scripture, let us not imagine for a moment that they were written for another person. They were written, and he includes himself for our admonition upon whom the ends of the ages have come. And if Paul wrote this back then, I wonder then how much closer are we to the ends of the ages? I'm sure we are pretty close. And then the significance of the scripture in Isaiah is very clear. That any one of us who wants to know the end, then must of necessity understand the beginning. It is impossible to understand the end without first understanding the beginning. And we have come to learn that the first 34 verses of the Bible running from Genesis 1 verse 1 to Genesis 2 verse 3 form the foundation upon which the remainder or rather the remainder of scripture is built. The rest of the verses from Genesis 2 verse 4 to Revelation, the last verse, are God's own commentary on these 34 verses which must then bring us to that conclusion that the scriptures, the Bible, is unlike any other book. I don't know if there's any other book that you have come across that has such a similar pattern. I'm yet to come across one. And therefore, dear friends, we are not to place the scriptures on the same level, so to speak, with any other material. Now, by using the available body of scriptures, and that is the Old Testament, <coughs> Jesus expounded to his two disciples in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And I'm sure that when we think about where we have come from, this was not true because we picked verses randomly in the Old Testament and we made them about us. Little did we know that all the scriptures are written concerning Christ. And it is safe for us to conclude that all of the Old Testament scriptures are about the person and work 
of Christ, that work being past, present, and future. And maybe let me pause and ask a question. Will this include the book of Chronicles? Has anyone ever studied the book or tried to study the book of Chronicles? So-and-so begat so-and-so, so-and-so begat so-and-so. Anyone who has tried to study that book? I think going by this scripture, even that, a friend of mine calls it the book of bigotations. It is also about Christ. Only that at this point I can't tell you how that is. Maybe we can do some assignment on that. John 1.1, 1, 1, John writing says that in beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And in verse 14, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Paul in Colossians 1, 15 to 17 would write to us this morning, speaking of Christ, that he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. There's so much here in these uh, three uh, verses of Colossians 1 that place the uh, focus that Christ is the focus of everything. All things, before all things, in him all things, all things created through him, all things created for him. It's all about him. And I'm sure that we have come to see that the all things that are referenced here are matters to do with rulership. And so understanding that the scriptures are written about Christ is another key to the scriptures being opened to us. Not only are we to begin at Moses, but we also we are to embrace the persuasion that all the scriptures are written about Christ. According to Philip's testimony, Moses and the prophets wrote about Jesus. Reading John 1, to 45. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, We have found him, of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Jesus himself testified that Moses wrote about him in John 5.46, For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 10 verse 5 to 7 records as follows, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure then i said behold i have come in the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will o god and this volume of the book must 
of necessity be a reference to the Old Testament, telling us one more time that the Old Testament is written of Christ and Him alone. And I'm sure that even as we would read these passages from John 1, John 5, Hebrews 10, for any curious student of the Bible, the name of Jesus does not feature explicitly in the Old Testament, does it? Has anyone ever read about Jesus in the Old Testament in that express way? This must then cause us to ask the question, if the name of Jesus doesn't feature explicitly in the Old Testament, then how did Moses, the prophets, and the Old Testament write about Jesus? And I'm sure we have an answer. And to answer this question from a biblical point of view, let us note what Paul writes in Romans 5.14 that is known to us. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned, according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. And in our recent lessons, we have examined the foundations from the beginning and seen God's creation of man to replace Satan as ruler over the earth. Reading Genesis 1.27, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And in Genesis 2.19, we are given more uh, information that out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. Now, this is the same Adam that Paul writes to the church in Rome, describing him as a type of him who was to come, and this is none other than Jesus Christ himself. So then we have been introduced to types, Adam being a type of Christ. What is a type? It is a divine illustration, a person, a place, an event or thing, a divine illustration of some truth or doctrine given by divine inspiration to foreshadow a detailed future prophetic account. That is, a type points to something beyond itself. Is this scriptural? Yes, in addition to Romans 5.14, the second part of it, we also find it in 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, and we shall read verse 6 and 11. Now these things, speaking of the experience of the children of Israel, were our examples. To the intent, we should not last after evil things as they also lasted. And then in verse 11, now all these things happened unto them for ensamples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Now the Greek word for examples and samples and type is one and the same. It is that Greek word tupos. And since a type foreshadows something and or points to a detailed future account, then there must of essence be a fulfillment of it. And so the fulfillment of the type or that which the type points to is what scripture refers to as antitype. And we can read this in 1 Peter 3, verse 21. There is also an antitype which now saves us. Baptism, not the removal of the field of the flesh, 
by the answer of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And therefore, dear friends, we are being introduced to the types and the antitypes. And I want to believe that we have seen that these are scriptural. I think the first time I heard these things, I wondered, has the Bible been revised of late? Because prior to 2014, I'd never had any teaching on types and antitypes. And typology was something that was foreign to me, but I'm glad that we have all come to see that these are to be found within the pages of scripture. And taking this into account, therefore, since Adam is an example, a picture, a type of Christ, then if we are to see Christ in Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms, then we will only do so by understanding types and antitypes. And this becomes another key to the scriptures being opened to a willing believer. We are to begin at Moses, we are to embrace the persuasion that all scripture is about Christ, and then we are to come to that place of embracing typology as one of the keys to the scriptures being opened to us. Now a basic fundamental rule to remember about types is the first mention rule. That is, the first time a type is recorded in scripture, the pattern is set, and once set, no change can ever occur. Later types will only add information and cast additional light on the original type. But the original was set perfect at the beginning and remains unchanged throughout the scriptures. Types and antitypes are exact replicas of one another. The antitype is an exact imprint or duplicate of the type if you like. And since it is God who established them, then he has established types perfect. They don't break down, they don't disintegrate, but they only do so in the minds of finite man. And that means that they hold together if we study them correctly. And this, I believe, is an invitation as well to humility on our part. A complete type can be found either in a single verse, several verses taken together, or in an entire chapter, or several chapters taken together, or in an entire book viewed as a whole. I'm sure as we have been following pastor teaching from the book of Ruth, there's a lot of typology therein, and I hope that this has been very instructive to us. And types, as we have seen by way of definition, would also include not only people, but they include places, they include objects. So if you think about the threshing floor that we find in Ruth chapter number 3, it is a type, it is a picture of the judgment seat of Christ. If you think about the tabernacle, it is a type of Christ, you know, and on and on we could continue. But for this particular lesson today, let us just zoom in on Adam as a type of Christ. And for us to see Christ in Adam, we must go back to the very same place that we were not so long ago and study him. And inversely, there are things about Adam that we can also learn by looking at the life of Christ. We know that God created man to rule, and for him to rule, he had to be in the image and likeness of God. Genesis 1.26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. 
Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And I'm sure that in the part eight of this lesson, we saw what it means to be in the image and likeness of God. It is to have that tripartite being, and also the fact that at the time of creation, man was covered in glory, something that was lost when man sinned. Not only was man created to rule, but he would only rule in a marriage relationship. Reading verse 27 of Genesis 1. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And jumping to Genesis 2.18, we are given even more information. And this is what verse 18 would record for us. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And therefore we see God setting in motion the process of making a helper for the man. Reading the second part of Genesis 2.20 all the way to 22. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made, literally built into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And so we see a process. Number one, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. The Lord then took one of Adam's rib and closed up the flesh in its place. The Lord then made or literally built a woman from the rib which he took from Adam. And then the Lord brought the woman to Adam. And in response, this is what Adam said in verse 23 of Genesis 2. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. I don't know if we notice from the New King James Version that man is capitalized as much as woman. And I wonder whether there might be something for us to ponder on that. Now that Adam has a wife, rulership was a possibility. And for this to happen, scripture tells us they had to be one flesh. Reading verse 24 of Genesis 2, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. But we also know that before rulership could begin, man had to be tested for worthiness, something that we labored in part eight. We all know that the woman ate the fruit and gave to Adam, her husband, who also ate it. And we shall read verse six of Genesis three. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. The moment the woman ate the fruit, she was no longer one flesh with Adam. Consequently, rulership as God had designed could not take place. And knowing this to be the case, Adam had no option but to eat of the fruit with a view to bring about her redemption. Therefore, Adam ate the fruit knowingly. He was not 
deceived like the woman. And this is the commentary that Paul gives to us in 1 Timothy 2.14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman, being deceived, fell into transgression. And because we are studying typology, I hope that we can see that Adam could not be deceived because he typifies Christ. Adam, the last thing to note about him, he is described in the scriptures to be the son of God. Reading Luke 3.38, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. And all these five things that we have seen concerning Adam would cause us then to ask the question, how do these truths concerning him picture or typify Christ? Let's go into the antitype. That the coming of Christ was foretold after the fall of man in Genesis 3.15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. This is God speaking to the serpent, speaking to Satan. And God sent angel Gabriel to Mary to announce the birth of Christ. Let us read this in Luke chapter number 1, verse 31 to 35. And behold, the angel speaking to Mary, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. So Jesus would be given the throne of his father David. Jesus would reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there would be no end. Jesus would be born of the Holy Spirit and would be called the Son of God. And we have just seen that Adam was the Son of God. And Christ being the Son of God would be in fulfillment of Nathan's prophecy to David in 2 Samuel 7, verse 12 to 14. All these statements that we have read that the angel makes concerning Jesus are indicative of only one thing, rulership. And after Christ was born, we found that wise men came in search of him, the king of the Jews. And at this, Herod had a search made to ascertain where the Christ was to be born. It was always interesting to see that when the wise men asked where the king of the Jews was to be born, Herod understood it and had a search made, having concluded this could be no other but Christ. Now Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we know this in many places in Scripture, but we shall read Matthew 16, 16. Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Christ is the Messiah. In John 1, 41, 
he first found his own brother Simon, I'm sure this is Andrew, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which is translated the Christ. And this, if you want to find the Messiah in the Old Testament, you will find it in Daniel 9, uh, verse 25 to 26. And so Messiah is in Hebrew and Christ is in Greek, but they mean the same thing. These are titles. These are not nicknames for Jesus. These are titles that mean the anointed one to rule. And is this not exactly what is foreshadowed by Adam in that he was created to rule? I hope that it does. We know that in Christ dwells the fullness of the Godhead. And this therefore would mean Jesus the Christ being part of the Godhead is in the image and likeness of God. In Colossians 2.9, Paul writing says, speaking of Christ, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Despite being the seed of the woman, Christ came in the likeness of man, Adam, in his first advent, in the sense that in his coming, he did not have his glory on. And that is what Paul in Philippians 2.7 the second part of it describing Jesus said, taking the form of a born servant and coming in the likeness of men. He did not have a sin nature. He could not. And I'm sure that we have come to see that as we go through the conference materials and the afterglow. Christ did not have a sin nature, but that he came without glory. And just like Adam, having established that he is the anointed one to rule, Christ will only rule in a marriage relationship because the type antitype structure must agree. And therefore Christ must have a wife before he can rule. And in Revelation 19.7, John the Revelator records, let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory for the marriage of the Lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Speaking of the helper, we have seen that there was a process that was followed by God in Genesis chapter number 2. And this being the initial or foundational type, the antitype would also follow the same process. Number one, we know that Adam was put into a deep sleep. And in scripture, sleep implies death. Lazarus was dead, but Jesus said, he was asleep in John 11, 11 and 13. These things he said, Jesus speaking to his disciples. And afterward he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. And you know the disciples thought, well, he's just taking a rest. In verse 13 we are told, however, Jesus spoke of his death. But they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. We see the same when Paul writes about the dead as having fallen asleep in 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 to 15. But I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord 
will by no means precede those who are asleep. As we look at Adam being put into a deep sleep, then we are to see Christ as well being put in a deep sleep when he died on the cross. John 19, 30 and 33, bring this point home. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. He died. In verse 33, but when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. And therefore, as we read about Jesus being dead, we are to see in this that he was put into a deep sleep just as much as Adam was and therefore allow the woman to be built. Now Adam's rib was taken and the flesh in its place closed and so was the side of Christ pierced, continuing in John 19 verse 34. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately blood and water came out. And I'm sure that we can see this to picture that which we read about Adam because the rib has to be found just as we read with Jesus on the side. And therefore it was not in vain that one of these soldiers pierced the side of Christ. It is to fulfill the type in Genesis chapter number 2. We all know that the rib is a part of the human body. It is from Adam's rib that the Lord made, literally built a woman. And the same applies to Christ. Only a part of his body will be built into his bride. Besides Christ having a literal physical body, the church is referred to as the body of Christ in the scriptures. Paul in 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12 says, For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And in verse 14, Paul says, For in fact, the body is not one member, but many. And in verse 27, Paul brings the point home. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. In Colossians 1.18, Paul writing to the church in Colossae reminds us, and he, speaking of Christ, is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. And therefore the church, all believers, all those who have received spirit salvation, they form the body of Christ. But going by the type, only a part of it will form his bride. Christ will and is building his church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus speaking to Peter, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. It is those believers who appropriate the blood and water that came from the side of Christ that was pierced who will make up his bride. That is, Christ will build his bride and is doing it even in the present from his body. And we shall read more on this later. But I thought we may just want to read Matthew twenty-two fourteen to put this into context. Matthew 22 and verse 14. This comes after Jesus gives a parable 
of the banquet, Matthew 22 and verse 14. And Jesus, um, having spoken of the parable of the wedding feast, concludes by saying that for many are called, but few are chosen. And we have come to understand this to literally mean that many are called, but few are called out of the called. It is to fulfill that which we have read, that only a part of Adam's body, the rib, was made into a woman. Now having built the woman, the Lord brought her to the man, likewise with Christ. Once his bride is identified, she will be presented to him. Ephesians 5 from verse 25 following. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, that he might present her to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. That as we look at um, God in Genesis 2 presenting the woman to Adam, so will it be with Christ that once the bride is identified, he will present her to himself. Jude one twenty four. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. The type and the antitype must agree. In response, when the woman was presented to him, Adam described the woman as bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And this is the same description that is given of the church. And I want to believe this would be those who form the bride of Christ, for we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Adam and his wife were to be one flesh if they were to rule. And the same applies to Christ and his wife. They must be one flesh. Continuing with verse 31 of Ephesians 5, for this reason, Paul says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. And Paul concludes by saying, this is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. And so as we look at Genesis 2.24, then it is to be a picture of Christ and the church. Before Adam and his wife could rule, however, we know that they had to be tested for worthiness. Likewise with Christ. He had to be tested for worthiness to rule, and this happened during his temptations. Thankfully, Christ triumphed and has therefore been found worthy to rule. Having eaten the fruit, and therefore in a fallen state in Genesis 3, we found that um, Adam was left with no option but to eat the fruit with a view to bring about the redemption of his wife and similarly with Christ. In his first advent, Christ found those who would be his bride in a fallen state and he therefore became sin for us. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And in Galatians 3.30, Paul writing says that Christ has redeemed us 
from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Christ became sin for us. He became a curse for us as is typified in the foundation. And in complete accord with the types, Christ did this with a view to him and his bride one day being able to partake of the tree of life together. We concluded by saying that Adam is the son of God, and so is Jesus Christ. Mark 1.1, 1, 1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the son of God. And so Jesus Christ is the son of God, just as much as Adam is the son of God. And in Acts 9.20, immediately he preached the Christ in the synagogues that he is the son of God. What do we know about sonship? It portends rulership. Matters regality are in view because in God's kingdom only sons rule. And to bring this lesson to a close, Adam, being a type of Christ, is also found in the comparison that is made between the two. Christ is the last Adam, the second man, while Adam is the first man, as we would read from 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45 and 47. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. The first man was of the earth, made of dust, the second man is a Lord from heaven. All scripture is written concerning Christ. It is about his work, past, present, and future. And therefore, friends, that will bring us to the end of part 9a. And if the Lord is willing, in a fortnight, we shall study another character as a type of Christ. And as you may have noticed, we have some review questions, not that we are going to hold any Bible study, but these are just for us to be able to go back and like a Berean, to search the scriptures, to come to a full understanding of it. And you can rest assured that when we meet in a fortnight, God willing, I'm not going to ask um, whether we did them. I think we will exercise our own discretion to do that. I'd like us to pray. Our gracious Father and our God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we began, dear Lord, we sang that song, Show Us Christ. And we thank you, dear God, that all scripture is about him. We bless your name, dear God, that you would open our understanding, dear Father, to see what exactly Jesus meant when he expounded to the two disciples in all the scriptures things concerning himself. And we thank you, God, for the joy of coming to this understanding. Thank you for that which is typified by Adam and all the Old Testament types which all speak about Christ. And we thank you, dear God, that even as we would study these types, you would show us what is our part in it, so that, Lord, this does not become head knowledge for us. But, the Lord, even as we would see Adam having a wife, the Lord, we can begin to organize our lives, dear God, so that equally, out of the entire body of Christ, that we shall be a part of that body that is going to form the bride of Christ. We thank you, God. And we bless you, dear God, that even as we continue with the week, we pray that, God, you will navigate us through. And the Lord, you shall continue to bring us even to a better understanding 
of your word, dear Father, even as we look into the review questions, dear God, if that is practicable for us, dear God, we bless your name and we honor you. And pray that God, even as we begin the week, would you begin with us? Would you guide and lead us, O God? And that if it pleases you for us to be here again on Sunday, and even in the course of the week for our meetings, the Lord, we may remember to give thanks back to you. We bless you and we honor you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.